Welcome to Top 5, a show where we count things down from number 5 all the way to number 1. And this week we're back in our, what is it, a wheelhouse, a roundhouse. We're back in our in our stalls. <laughs> roadhouse. We're back in our roadhouse where no one puts baby in a corner. This week, Top That's 5. That's a different Swayze movie entirely. Ah, eh, they're all the same. They're honestly all the same. Don't forget uh, to, uh, to tip your waiters and waitresses like, and all that other good stuff. Roadhouse wheelhouse uh-huh. pottery wheel <laughs> it's all connected it is all it's gonna connected. be a great show rodrigo i'm gonna need you to tell steven that i'm not speaking to him <laughs> this week top five comic book characters top five comic book characters uh and i'll say that this is hard when you have to narrow it down to five i think yeah and uh i'll, I'll start this week uh, my number five is uh is a janitor from the future, who used to be an ex-football player, but then got caught up in a gambling scheme, and then uh, had to had to sweep up the the Hall of Wonders, and then he got this uh, great idea that he would steal a Legion flight ring and a time bubble, and he would travel back in time and make his money as a hero for hire, or at least try to get as many endorsements as he could. So he traveled back to present day of nineteen eighty something something. 86. And donned the name Booster Gold. Oh, I thought he was going to be time-traveling janitor man. No, 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 no. Not time-traveling janitor man. But he might have been. But yeah, my number five, Booster Gold. I you kind of I kind of like the idea of here's a guy that's in it for the money and the fortune and glory because he screwed up his own um, opportunities by gambling on, what was he, gambling on himself to win or gambling on himself to yeah. lose, and he got and he got he caught. basically betting on his own team and got blacklisted. Yeah, and uh, you, you kind of feel a little bit sorry for him, but at the same time, every get-rich-quick scheme that he comes up with, at least in the 80s, failed we, we, spectacular, spectacularly, and it was always a good time, especially when, when he's teamed up with uh, Blue Beetle, uh, who didn't make my list but probably should have. I think maybe in a future... Top five, we'll have to do top five duos, dynamic duos, and you see do top five guys who have tons of thousands of iterations, and then you can do Booster Gold and Blue yeah, Beetle over yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's my number five, Booster Gold. Red One Red of Red the Red greatest Red. costumes in comic. Book it is history. a it is a pretty cool costume, and uh, you know, back in the '80s, we didn't have the shiny paper that you could print stuff on, and we didn't have the digital inks, so anything that you know, his costume was relatively matte uh, as far as reflections and everything. But now, thanks to all the, the digital printings and the shiny papers, they make his costume actually look shiny a lot of yeah, times. They took away the popped collar, and it's just not the same. Eh, I'm sure it'll come back eventually. Everything eventually does. Rodrigo, what do you have for your number five? They brought back like the the X Men's like weird chin straps. You know how like so many of their costumes had just like a hole for their face. <laughs> They'll come back. Anyway, my number five is uh, Commissioner Gordon, mm. um, because Commissioner Gordon is like a this very. It's like everybody loves Batman, but you can't really have Batman function without like. Without Commissioner Gordon, he actually is just constantly doing work, like sort of narrative work as a character to allow this absolutely ludicrous fiction that is Batman to exist. Um, For one, uh, he is the cooperation with the police, right? Which like a vigilante like Batman (laughs) can't work if the police don't 
don't allow him to. Uh, you see that on the other side with Spider-Man, where like frequently people are after him and has a lot of difficulties, whereas Batman just kind of gets to do whatever he wants, um, which lets other aspects of the character shine, right? Uh, Gordon also is a not-powered person with ties to the city, a family, um, and so all of these things that like a lot of the time Batman doesn't have, uh, and so it kind of lends this human aspect to Batman runs, where Batman is just kind of this like angry computer wearing pajamas and like beating people up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think uh, Commissioner Gordon just kind of allows all this stuff to happen in a way that uh, maybe. Uh, similarly, like J. Jonah Jameson, like negatively allows Spider-Man to really to really function and click, and kind of gives you context for what's happening for normal people in the world of these superheroes. Very nice, very very nice, Matthew. Let's uh, swing over to you and see who do you have in your number five position. My list this week is actually ordered uh, by power. And that is important because as we go along, you'll see that each level is slightly more powerful in comic book terms than the level what come before. And my number five is one of my very favorite characters. I started reading comics in the very early 1980s. There were a few comics that I loved from about 1979, 1980. I was a big fan of Jackson the Green Rabbit. You know, I didn't mind the Shogun Warriors, but about 84, 85, comics were hitting kind of a new stride. There was a lot of weird stuff going on. And amongst that weird stuff uh, was Swamp Thing, and Swamp Thing died. And he's like, oh my God, I'm dead, but I'm not actually dead. And Swamp Thing was growing back as a little tiny plant. And he's like, what's going on? And he looks up and he sees John Constantine, my number five. Uh, Designed by the, his creator, and this is actually true, this is a quote, to get Sting into a comic book. Uh, John Constantine initially looked like Sting, knew a little bit about everything, and was this strange warlocky guy who had his thumb on everybody's scales and his finger in everybody's pies. And as the story went along, stop it, we, we discovered that Not only was John super powerful, not only was he on top of everything as a warlock, he's the worst human being in the world. And he keeps doing things to try and help people that go terribly wrong and get his friends killed. And he has no idea what his life is meant to be. And he can't really get anything together. But for some reason, he gets really lucky sometimes. So there's a series of early stories where he's, you know, trying to travel around the world and he just sort of wanders onto a plane and he goes somewhere and he gets there and he does what he needs to do. Then he comes home and finds out, oh, I killed another friend. But as the series goes on, he becomes more and more complicated. And, um, you know, notoriously, his solo series ran continuously for 300 issues, which is pretty freaking remarkable. Uh, that doesn't necessarily happen. I cannot think of a lot of really popular characters where you can say, yep, 300 issues in a row, they ran for like 40 years. But if you want to really sell the point, if you want to bring it home, watch Legends of Tomorrow, which is weird because they, they pronounce the name differently than I do and the name differently than the creator did. But they managed to do a relatively high-fidelity con- 
like really competent, weird Constantine, who's also just a terrible person and a group of terrible people in the, in the midst of it. And these things happen and he's got nothing, but he's always got a little bit of magic up his sleeve. And that's what I really like about it. At one point he was aging in real time. So 30 years after his first appearance, he was 30 years older and he was super, super depressed about it. That's not the case anymore. I think he still has a comic. Uh, I don't yeah, remember. Hellblazer he, is, is still going. I think he just passed yeah. issue 25 or something. So, Oh, good. New Hellblazer. You should check it out. John Constantine. I will warn you not to watch the Keanu movie because it's pretty generic. It's not really a good example of what the character is capable of. But yeah. And if you pronounce it Constantine, we can be friends. So you should probably, if you, I don't know if you've watched any of these yet, Matthew, but um, mm-hmm. Warner Brothers has put out the animated movies that mm-hmm. feature Justice League Dark and John Constantine, and um, they're pretty intense. The one that I, the one that just came out, the John Constantine City of Blood or something like that, I think is the title mm-hmm. of it. Ooh, it is graphic. It's violent. It is, uh, it's definitely hard R, but it does feel like. You know, somebody who knows his way around demons and uh, making demons angry and taking care of problems. Uh, it's it's definitely <laughs> worth checking cool. out, but it is it is R rated, so it's probably not something you want a young child uh, checking out. But still, pretty good. Oh, I don't I don't have a young child. Yeah, I know. I have an old child. I'm saying that just in general for our listeners at home who might be going. Oh, I might be going and checking this out and let my four year old watch. No, no, no. Don't let your four year old watch. No, 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 no. In fact, all the Justice League dark stuff is maybe a little bit too dark for kids. I think. Yeah, and too dark for me, too. Yeah. All right. We are on to our number fours, and my number four is swinging in on a web made of every size. He's been a reporter. He's been a photographer. He's been a scientist. He's been a high school teacher. He's been poor. He's been rich. He's been a member of the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, and any number of other teams. He's had a red and blue suit. He's had a black suit. He's had a a suit with webs and a suit without. Sometimes his eyes are really big, and sometimes they're very narrow. But his (laughs) spidey sense is always letting you know when there's danger about... Of course, I am talking about Peter Parker, the amazing, the spectacular, the friendly neighborhood, Spider-Man. I think I got everything I needed to say about that. Yeah. All right. Uh, I don't know. There's something. And again, people are going to be really surprised that Batman doesn't show up on my list because um, I like a very specific type of Batman, which is currently not in the comics. Um, But... I like generally I like Peter Parker as the photographer for the Daily Bugle who's got a good science background. I like him when he has money struggles. I like him because Spider-Man of everybody on my list really feels like an everyman, right? He feels like, oh, I can really identify with Peter Parker and the troubles he's going through because I too am having these exact same problems. Now, granted, I don't have a smoking hot redhead girlfriend who uh, is wanting to date me right after my smoking hot blonde girlfriend died because uh, of my uh, own uh, shenanigans. Um, But I think for the most part, people identify really well with, with the Peter Parker. That is the everyman, not the guy that's in charge of his own mega corporation, not the guy who is, you know, hanging out with the Avengers. uh, But uh, you know, the, the, the guy that everybody knows that everybody knows him because he's there in the neighborhood with you. So my number four, is Spider-Man. Rodrigo, who do you have for your number four? Uh, my number four is uh, has also been a member of multiple super teams. Uh, not Obviously not as many as Spider-Man, but at least a couple. And several, several iterations 
of her own super team. Um, she is very intelligent um, and very loyal. And of course, I'm talking about one of the best characters in comics, Old Lace from Runaways. <laughs> uh, old Lace uh, beating out uh, Devil Dinosaur for this slot in the countdown um, is a character from uh, the Runaway series of Marvel Comics. Uh, she is a Dinonychus, essentially, but you know, it's also a uh, like a genetically enhanced future dinosaur. So eh, you know, it's like eh, they can take a lot of liberties with what kind of dinosaur she actually is. But she's essentially uh, one of the like a Velociraptor from Jurassic Park. That's about the the her size and, and general demeanor. Um, she's bonded to one of the characters. Um, and later on, they reveal, aka retcon, that that bond can be transferred. Um, so uh, she's actually had multiple, I don't know, maybe owners. I, I, I prefer to think of it as partners. Um, but... Uh, um, it, uh, Old Lace is, is interesting because it's a it's an interesting character to have to to to, to look at and, and see what she does because she actually fulfills a lot of roles in a team. Um, she's kind of the team's pet in that she's an animal um, and generally kind of fulfills that role, even like sort of the, like that literary role of a dog in that you know a character will show up and you don't know who they are, but old lace will immediately hate them or they'll be looking villainous but she'll like take a shine to them uh, you know sort of hinting at the fact that maybe this is actually a either a benevolent character or a character that old lace already knows um you know there's lots of little things that you can do with a pet type character and if you're gonna do that why not have it be a dinosaur so yeah. uh number number four on my list old lace there you go. Matthew, who is your number four favorite comic book character? Well, my number five, as we mentioned, was a powerful sorcery sorcerer guy. My number four is a step up in power. In the universe that came before this universe, one scientist realized the world was going to end. I sound a bit like Will Arnett as Batman. But nonetheless, that scientist, a man named Galen, began creating a device that might allow him to explore and perhaps even outlive the end of his universe. And in so doing, he passed from his universe, which died, into the current universe via the Big Bang. And the transformation imbued him with the power cosmic and some really funky fashion sense. Uh, the antlers are not attached. They're actually part of his funny hat. But my number four... Galactus, I think, is one of my favorite super, quote-unquote, villain-type characters because Galactus's sole purpose, really the only thing that drives him, is survival. He just wants to get something to eat. The problem is what he eats is planets. And the more populated the planet, the more yummy it is. And so Galactus has to deal with a lot of kind of cognitive dissonance when he goes and destroys entire civilizations to save basically his own existence. And eventually he comes to Earth and the Fantastic Four says, oh, no, 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 you cannot eat our planet. And Galactus says, fine, fair play to the queen. And then sort of gains a weird respect relationship 
with the Fantastic Four, where he's not exactly a villain. He's just this force of nature who can sometimes be used as a friend, as an ally. And I swear to you, this is true, and you're going to say this is stupid. At one point, he belonged to a Marvel super team called the Ultimates. He was an active member of a team with uh, Captain Marvel and Spectrum and the Blue Marvel and Ms. America. And he was just like, hi, I'm Galactus. It's okay now. I've been reversed. I'm now the life bringer. But there's just something about the concept of this 60-foot-tall, big, freaky alien dude in Kirby armor who sort of kind of has a code of honor but will also bend it if he gets really, really hungry. I mean, I can relate. Haven't we all gotten really hungry and done something stupid? Well, yeah, I've never eaten an entire planet. No, but I've I've eaten with you, Stephen, and you you've come you know close. No. There was that time with the cheese fries at the Red Coat. Oh, Inn. gross! I never have cheese fries. <laughs> That's Just how I know play you're along, lying. You? No, gross, gross, disgusting. But nonetheless. Well. Clearly, after that incident, none of us want to eat cheese fries anymore. <laughs> That's true. Just wiped it from the space-time continuum, like many Galactus stories. And I think the best part about Galactus is no matter where he falls on any scale of human morality, it doesn't really matter to him because human morality is not his thing. He is not human, and our puny morality is not going to constrain him. And if he wants to run around with bare legs and a purple skirt and antlers, he's going to do it. And by God, I will say this, Kirby, Jack Kirby draws a lot of wild and crazy costumes and a lot of things that you're just like, where did this come from? If you go and right now Google Galactus and look at that headdress and just marvel at the creative impulses that must have come to, to create that funny hat, that right there is worth the price of admission. My number four, Galactus. And don't give me any of that weak shadow on the moon Galactus stuff or alien swarms of creatures Galactus. No, I'm talking 40-foot tall man, preferably with bare legs, but you can't always get that. Yeah. yeah. All right. We have made it to our number threes, and my number three is an easy one. Tim Drake as Robin. Uh, you know, when, you, when it comes to Robins, sure, you have Dick Grayson. And Dick Grayson is fine. He served his purpose, but really he needed to step out of Batman's shadow and become his own man. And then you had Jason Todd, and Jason Todd was just a jerk, and nobody likes jerks. And then you have, uh, what's his name, the current Robin, who is a jerk. And if you uh, didn't miss my little lecture there about Jason Todd, then just rewind 30 seconds. So nobody likes a jerk. Uh, then you had, of course, uh, uh, what's her name, Carrie, uh, what's her face from the future? She's okay. Carrie Kelly. Carrie, yeah, Carrie Kelly. And then Stephanie Brown was Robin for a hot second. Uh, mm -hmm. But really, Timothy Drake comes in and proves that he is not only the best Robin, but the best Batman. But unfortunately, Batman got a little jealous and pushed him away and forced Tim's head to get blown off in the back. And now he's scarred for life and has to go around his Red Robin. Yum. But no, Tim Drake, favorite, one of my favorite comic book characters. Uh, my top three became very, very hard to, to finalize uh, because I could really put any of these top three in any position and I'd be happy with it. But uh, this go around, Tim Drake, right there in number three. 
Have you have you seen his new suit? I haven't. No. He's calling himself Drake now. Oh Drake. yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Just Drake. He's got kind of a brown unitard thing going on. It's. I mean, it's a look. Yeah, because uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, Rodrigo, <laughs> what do you have for your number three? What do I have for my number three? My number three is a character that I believe first appeared in the comic series Hellboy, um, but is not Hellboy. It's not Lobster Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, both great comic book characters, but uh, my number three spot has to go to Abe Sapien, uh, who is a fish man, who's also very smart and uh, very capable and often um i i feel has proven multiple times that he is kind of uh, he works well in a hellboy story him and hellboy work well together although they don't always work well together like as foils they work well together um but also abe has had a lot of his own stories um uh, interestingly, I like him a lot better when he's out in on the in the field investigating some weird uh, circumstance, and a lot less when we're actually delving into his own backstory, which I feel is like very complicated. Um, he like like does a whole like lifetime loop where like he dies and then he goes back and kind of creates himself. And then, like, spins out of that and then just goes, goes back to life in, like, regular time. It's it's complex. The Mignolaverse can get a little complicated. Oh, yes. But, yes, it can. But um, I'm, always, I'm always very excited to see uh, Abe Sapien show up in Hellboy stories, BPRD stories, and even in his own solo stuff. Um Especially, uh, kind of, especially in the early stuff. I think uh, basically when the apocalypse happened, and you know there were like just kind of monsters everywhere. Uh, for me, BPRD lost a lot of its, uh, or I lost a lot of interest in it because um, I always liked more of the investigative side. And if mm-hmm. it's like, well, now now the deal is, you know, basically this is an open this is open warfare. It's a lot. It's a little bit less uh, interesting, but still like Abe. Anytime I saw him, so my number three, Abe Sapiens. There you go, uh, Matthew. Who do you have for your number three? Well, we went from incredibly powerful warlock to phenomenal force of nature, and there's really only one place to go from here without getting into truly beyond the pale cosmic beings. And so my number three has to be. I'm the old guy. Uh, I I am a self-styled amateur comic book historian, so I'm going to step back. First, modern comic book in the parlance that we know it came out in 1933. But the comic book did not become a real, tangible, meaningful thing until 1939 and the debut of Stardust, the Super Wizard. This is a character who appeared 16 times before World War II and is still fondly remembered by jerks and nerds and old dudes like me. Because Stardust is kind of, in a lot of ways, it's everything that you see in a superhero character, the capes and tights tropes. And they're all Nigel Tufnold up, not just to 11, to about 35 and a half. Uh, he owns his own star, and from this star he patrols space, 
and using the powers of literally anything. He can shoot rays, extinguishing rays, magic. He can become giant. He can become small. He doesn't get any smaller than about eight feet tall, though. He is nigh omnipotent. And what do you do with nigh omnipotent powers, gentlemen? You beat up racketeers and terrorists and petty criminals because that's why. Uh, Stardust accidentally came to Earth in 1939 because he heard a radio signal that claimed there was crime and he had to come punch it. And the villains, the bad guys of that first story, literally attacked him with an atom smasher. And he shrugged it off and he (laughs) just basically devastated them and left them floating in the air for the police to find. It's ridiculous. It's beautiful. It's over the top. And Fletcher Hanks, who is the creator, has... Yeah, Fletcher Hanks writes literally at the top of his lungs, and it's so perfect, and it's so wonderful to read these stories. Uh, there are a couple of big, uh, big-time collections. Both of them are actually named for quotes by the character. Uh, the first collection is called, I Shall Destroy All Civilized Planets. And the second collection is called, You Shall Die By Your Own Evil Creation. And if you hear that and you are not as I am, intrigued, excited, somehow having all of your senses peaked and wondering, where can I get a copy of this? Well, then we're just not the same people, because my number three, Stardust the Super Wizard, is also wonderful because you can sing it to the tune of Harvey the Wonder Hamster uh, by Weird Al, which is, you know, really something good that many superheroes can, but very few superheroes do actually try. So yeah, Stardust, Otter just cheered somewhere. Here we go into our twos, our top twos. And my number two, I think I jumped on this bandwagon from the very first moment he stepped through a hole in a wall and punched a Nazi in the face. And you're like, yeah, this is pretty cool. And then you found out, then I found out that he was created by Nikola Tesla. And it's like, uh-huh. And then you find out that he doesn't, that he doesn't curse. And he's a, he's a scientist action hero. And he hangs out with all of the, the cool and sometimes not so cool people throughout history. And uh, he has a constant war with Edison and his people and giant uh, um, monsters. Yes, giant monsters. I'm talking about Atomic Robo. Fiddlesticks or shucks or poo. That's what he'll say instead of cursing. He's, a, he's got good, strong morals. And uh, I don't know. I, I've said enough about Atomic Robo over the years. If you don't know who Atomic Robo is, then you probably ought to check out the Major Spoilers podcast. Uh, You probably ought to check out uh, my Twitter feed. Probably ought to check out the millions of reviews that I've written about Atomic Robo. Uh, This guy is cool. And uh, who wouldn't want to have an atomic-powered robot as as your best friend to go on science adventures with? Yeah, so he's my number two, Atomic Robo. Rodrigo, who do you have for your number two? What were you going to say, Matthew? I'm sorry. Is is his shielding good? Because that's the only downside to having an atomic robot friend. I got two kids. That's all I need. <laughs> Rodrigo, who do you have for your number two? Good Lord. Yeah, uh, exactly. My, that's what I said. Uh, my <laughs> number two is a, uh, a character that I like a lot uh, and who is also... kind of barely a character and yet very important in their own series um and that's uh grandma pa from uh bean world right so 
the the beans of Bean World uh, live on this island, and at the center of the island there is a tree called Grandma Pa, and it the tree basically provides for them, and so this uh, this magic tree is like aware, but it doesn't talk, um, and very frequently. Uh, it, it kind of embodies uh, what uh, the the poet uh, has been heard to say, which is that you don't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you get what you need. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what Grandma Pa represents for me. Very often, um, new things happen in Bean World, and the beans don't know how to deal with it, and they go to Grandma Pa for guidance, and Grandma Pa will sprout out some weird thing that they also don't know what it's supposed to be. But turns out, eventually, when they figure it out, is the thing that they needed or something that facilitates a transition, right? A lot of Bean World stories are stories about sudden change or even minor change that start disrupting things. Um, and Grandma Pa is always there to kind of always be there to say, like, well... Honestly, no matter what happens, Grandma Pa is always going to be here. And also, uh, it's looking out for you, or he or she's looking out for you. Um, and so it's okay. Like it's all going to be okay. Just deal with deal with what's happening. And here's a little help, and you'll figure it out, right? So that's that's something that I really appreciate. Uh, so definitely gets this. Uh, yeah, we'll say character into mm-hmm. my number two. Excellent. Uh, yeah. Matthew, we're swinging over to you with number two. My number two is really the only place you can go when, when you know you start with powerful warlock and then force of nature, and then you go to you know all powerful omnipotent super wizard. Clearly, the only place to go is a universal construct, advocating and representing one of the constants of our reality, and that's why my number two is death of the endless. Because I've always really enjoyed the idea that death in these stories is not something to be feared and terrible. It's not a screaming skeleton in a dress. It's just a cute little goth girl. She wanders around the universe. She has a specific thing that she does. She takes no joy in endings. You know, she doesn't wander around trying to kill people. But there's a very early appearance where... A baby dies in a crib and looks up and sees death and says, is that all you get? And death says, you get the same as everyone. You get a lifetime. And that's always kind of stuck with me because Neil Gaiman has this very poetic, and I get it. I know there are a lot of people out there yelling at me right now because it's a very divisive series. And Neil Gaiman is one of those creators who, for some reason, there's a growing backlash as his work ages I don't know if it's against him or against the work or if it's just the changing times. I don't know. But I will say that that first appearance of death is the point where the Sandman goes from being this weird series of events to being an actual tapestry, a story that's telling something that feels bigger than just, hey, here's some lines on the paper. And I I don't know. There's just something comforting about knowing that if you ever do have to die, and I don't intend to, and I'm certainly you know, going to try not to, uh, my expectation is to live forever. And if I you know, do that, you'll never know. But 
just knowing that there's going to be this nice young woman who shows up with her little ankh and her haircut and maybe wants to listen to some Tori Amos records with me as we go on to whatever that next step would be. That's kind of nice. And there's really, really terrible stories with her. Uh, there's a, a run of action comics where she pops up and talks to Lex Luthor, and I'm just like, hey, no, no, this is wrong and bad, and you should stop that. You really should. But even there, even under different writers, even in situations where it seems like she shouldn't fit in, this character works really well. I really enjoy the idea, and I have to say, if you're not familiar with it, you should probably at least do yourself the favor of checking out Death, the High Cost of mm-hmm. Living. Yep. Just, uh, I think it's either it's either three or five issue limited series where you kind of get a feel for the character and what she does, and then you can go on and go, hey, maybe I'm going to read 97 issues of The Sandman now. Yeah. You certainly could do that, but yeah, I, I, I uh, second that on High Cost of Living. Good, yep. good series. All right, we have made it to the top of our list to our favorite comic book characters, and mine sometimes is known as the Scarlet Speedster, sometimes the Fastest Man Alive, sometimes, um, yeah, sometimes just the, known as, as uh, the, Kid Flash. The Zier of Velocity. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, the Crimson he, Comet. He he sometimes is known as Kid Flash. Mm. Right now, who the heck knows what's going on with Wally West? <laughs> but uh, Matthew and I recently were watching an episode of Flashback or uh, Flash for our podcast Flashback, and it featured Wally Re- West uh, coming back uh, after being absent for a long, long time in the show, and his attitude and the things that happened just made me realize that yeah, doesn't matter where you put him. Wally West is the best Flash of them all, and he is really my favorite comic book character. Of all the comics that I have not dropped my subscriptions on, you know, my ongoing uh, pull list subscriptions, the Flash is always there. And I just really enjoy Wally West. He is very much uh, like Spider-Man to an extent where he is kind of an everyman. He screws up royally. He... Uh, has become super well-known and super wealthy because of who he is. He's also been uh, in trouble a lot of the times. He's got a wife and kids, depending on who's writing him and who wants to, uh, you know, eradicate him from the universe. Probably the eradicator. Um, but I don't know. Wally West has always had a very different attitude, a more of a modern attitude, a more of a friendly attitude towards life and situations that he encounters that, his Uncle Barry just doesn't. Barry always comes off to me as kind of a whiny stick in the mud. And I know that's probably not the case and people will argue with me, but I really do like Wally West as a Flash. And right now he's my favorite comic book character. It's the only thing I can say. Everybody knows what his powers are. Um, so, yeah, that, that's my number one. Rodrigo, who do you have for your number one? Uh, my number one is... A character uh, from a an indie comic. Um, they this character is uh, like like so many of the, of the characters that Matthew has mentioned so far. Incredibly powerful, just immensely powerful, uh, immortal, uh, unconstrained by time, and can do whatever. He wants whenever he wants, and no one can stop him. 
except for one girl in a flimsy costume that one time that managed to trap them in some like magic chains. <laughs> um, and that is uh, the, the cage demon wolf from Empowered. <laughs> uh, I love the cage demon wolf because um, while he's trapped and he is fond of mentioning that he wasn't trapped before and he will be free again uh, because again, he's timeless. Um, while he's trapped, he's basically just sitting on our protagonist's coffee table watching the what is like a, a handful of teenage superheroes have horny adventures and um, commenting on them frequently and uh, has a very verbose way of, of, of speaking. Uh, is always kind of is always pretty mean to them, uh, insults their intelligence, um, makes fun of the fact that they are just massively horny. Empowered is a very horny comic book. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, But uh, as the series progresses, uh, you get to see, again, because he's not, he doesn't get a chance to like destroy anything, and because he has to be there, he can't move, he ends up having multiple conversations with basically every character that comes through. And um, you start seeing different aspects of, of the uh, of the Cage Demon Wolf and see that actually uh, he is capable of empathy. He's capable of uh, friendship. He's capable of sort of tough, not just love, but tough love and, and basically acting in unselfish ways. Um, he'll hide it and he'll put it in 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 ways that um, are like self-aggrandizing and and simultaneously a put down to whoever he's talking to. But he is actually a complete interesting character that most of the time just acts as a chorus, essentially commenting on the action uh, for a. A pretty weird superhero comic. I, I don't always love Empowered, but I do usually love uh, the Demon Wolf. It's like each character individually has a lot going on. A lot of the time, I'm like, yeah, nah, I don't want to. I don't want to read this volume of Empowered. But um, I, I'm kind of always always here for the Demon Wolf. Very nice. Very very nice. All right, Matthew, you get to close us out this week with your number one favorite comic book character. My number one. So we've gone from magical powerhouse to literal force of nature to invulnerable phenomenal cosmic beastie to universal archetype so there's really only one more place we could go there's only one thing more powerful than all of those people and that is the common man what is the power of the common man you might ask me and i will say to you this behold the parable of Bouncing Boy. Do we really the have Legion, to? Yeah, we have to. The Legion of Superheroes is a thousand years in the future. And in a thousand years in the future, pretty much everything that we consider to be a problem today is is wiped out. It's all taken care of. The science police are there. We've got the transport tubes. We've got little things. There's a tube through the Earth where you can go through and you can look at magma if you get bored. These are all things that you can do. And the Legion of Superheroes numbers among its numbers Superboy and another Superboy, and a girl who's basically Superboy, and then a guy who's Superboy but like one at a time, and a dude who can kick you so hard that your skeleton will explode out of your head, 
And a girl who can turn into three people, which doesn't seem so impressive, but how many people can you turn into? And all of these massively powerful creatures number amongst their friends and colleagues. Bouncing boy. Bouncing boy. Charles Foster Tane of Earth. Just a weird little fat guy. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I understand the psychological reasoning behind my actual attachment to this weird little fat guy. So, you know, no need to at me. I get it. I'm with you. I know where my brain is. But he's, he's with the Legion. He's one of the Legion. He is an honored member. He is a friend. He is a valued contributor to the team. Even though, you know, his friends can crush planets with their bare hands, the fact that he can bounce is still valuable is still situationally useful. And so Bouncing Boy proves that no matter who you are, my friends, listening right now to the Major Spoilers podcast, Faithful Spoilerites, no matter who you are, what you do, you can contribute. Even if you're standing in the shadow of Superboy himself and all you can do is accidentally drink super plastic fluid because you're so dumb you thought it was a soda and bounce around the room, Maybe make your friends feel better. Occasionally knock over Mordru in battle. If that's all you can do, that's enough. That matters. You are contributing, and that is important. And that, my friends, is why my number one, Bouncing Boy, perhaps the greatest Legionnaire of all Legionnaires who ever were Legionnaires, to be in the Legion. All right, there you go, everybody. Top five favorite comic book characters right now. We'll visit this again in, in probably, you know, three years. Another, and it'll be completely different. It'll be the same list from all three of us, and it'll be really freaky. And and then people will realize that, oh, I've never heard this before, because they haven't gone back into the archives, where we have hundreds of top five <laughs> episodes for you to go and listen to. Some, maybe topics you've never even heard us talk about before. Others, maybe you've heard us talk about it before, but with a different angle. There's only one way to find out. Head over to Majorspoilers.com. Go into the top five archive and check out all the shows that are waiting for you. And then, when you're done, which, you know, we'll wait a little bit, but not too long, head over to our Discord server, jump into the Top 5 uh, channel, and share your Top 5s, whether they be favorite comic book characters, or favorite sandwiches, or favorite types of cheese. Everybody's going to appreciate your input. Why? Because everybody loves a list, and we will see you next time. This podcast is copyright 2020 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.